All right, uh, howdy folks. Uh, today I would like to us to turn in our Bibles, if you have your Bible with you, to John chapter 17. It's a really rich text. This is um, the prayer that Jesus prayed, the whole chapter. Jesus prayed to his Father the day before he went to the cross. There's not too many sermons you can find online about John 17. It's, uh, but it's quoted a lot by many people. And um, we're gonna, I'm going to read the first five verses, and then we'll talk some about it and, uh, and look at some other text in it. So right before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays this to his Father in heaven. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his, his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And Father God, please just open our eyes to your will and your word today and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So right away, we notice something in this, in this prayer. And we don't very often get a chance to, to see Jesus praying to his Father uh, in, in this long of a passage. So we, could, we can kind of see the heart of God as we look through John 17. And like I said, it's really a rich text. Um, in the 1600s, there was a, a Puritan preacher named Joseph Carroll. Have you ever heard of him? He, he preached over 400 sermons on the book of Job over 24 years span. So this is one of those kind of rich texts that I think you could spend a lot, a lot of time on. But I'm going to, in 10 minutes I have, I just want to focus on, on a few things here overall. So in the first five verses, Jesus mentions the word glory or a derivative of that word five times. So within the Trinity, we see God is glorifying himself. We also see God is praying to himself in some context as Jesus is praying to his Father. So, but God is glorifying himself within the Trinity here. And throughout the chapter, the, the word glory is, is mentioned many more times. So who do we glorify in life as human beings in our life? Usually it's the people we love. In some contexts, we glorify them. We brag on them. We build them up publicly to others. And also privately, we tell them we love them. And we glorify them in that context. And we do things for them that they like and appreciate. And something else we do for those we love and we glorify is we give them gifts. Now, how many of you here has given a gift to somebody you love in the last, last week or two <laughs> or three? Okay. <laughs> okay. Daniel, who, who did you give something to? Whitney, okay. You had an anniversary, didn't you? Okay. Blake? My brother. Your brother. It was what? Birthday. Birthday, okay. All right. So we, we do that. 
we, we give gifts to those people we love. And we see God glorifying himself uh, in this text as God is loving himself within the, the Godhead, within the Trinity. And gifts are given. I want, I want us to look at um, a gift that the Father gave the Son. And it's mentioned throughout the chapter, but we see it five times very specifically. I'm going to read some clips out of John 17. Verse 6, Jesus is speaking on all accounts. The people whom you gave me out of the world, yours they were, and you gave them to me. Verse 9, for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 11, keep them in your name which you have given me. And verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So God loved his only son. The father loved the son. And he gave them a gift of what? A people. God gave, the father gave the son a gift of people. And on every account, it's mentioned in the past tense. That's interesting. We'll keep that in mind as we go along. So next I would ask, who are these people and where are they? Hey, Case. Who are these people that is given to the Son by the Father and where are they? Now, if we had time, we could go back to creation and say, well, the first time people are mentioned is when God created Adam and Eve. Am I on? Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. So when God created man in his own image, but sin broke them, didn't it? Sin broke Adam and Eve, and the, the, the image of God upon their heart became distorted. And that doesn't seem like it'd be a very good gift, all of humanity, because all their descendants were born out of fellowship with a contorted view of God. Is that a good gift to give to your son, all of humanity? We will see. We will see. Uh, later on, God called a people, his own people, named Israel. And uh, in Jeremiah 13, 11, it says, I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, God says, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. So these people called by God's name over and over and over, God says, he wants them to love him and have a heart for him. But th their image of God is broken. Their heart, they don't have a heart for God as a whole. And even we know that, uh, that Israel is not this people as a whole because even Jesus, who speaks to an Israelite, says, you're of your father, the devil. This is not that people, not as a whole, it's not. And, and, but still yet, throughout the Old Testament, we see God's Speaking as though his word is, is true and sure, as though these people do exist somewhere or, at some, or, or will exist, he does not back down on his word. But where are they? And I might ask, did God fail in creating a people in his own image for his own glory, for his own praise? This people that he, would, that he gifted to his son, was that a mistake? Romans uh, 9, 6, Paul answers that question he says but it is not as though the word of god has failed for all who are descended from israel uh, 
For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh or of the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So there's two Israels, basically. Uh, there's, there's an Israel out of the flesh, and there's Israel uh, from a promise, from the believing God. It's a spiritual Israel. So, but still yet, where are they today? Do you see people with a heart for God? Revelations 5.9 tells us where they're going to come from. Um, and we, we find that it, they come from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus ransoms them with his blood. And in Isaiah 43, it says that they will come from the ends of the world, earth. It says, oh, he's calling them out. And something really cool in Isaiah 43 as well, it goes on to say about these people that he's looking forward to. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will remember, I will not remember your sin. Now, that's weird. I thought he didn't remember my sin and forgave me for my own sake. But here it says it's for his sake that he does that. It's for God's glory. And, and we'll, we'll look a little more at that here in a minute. But so far, they, they come, this people, this gift comes from the end of the earth. And they also come throughout the span of time. John 17, 20 tells us that Jesus is praying that he ask, he does not ask for these only, but but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So, so this is the people. They come from throughout time and from the ends of the earth, and they're chosen out of those groups. And John 17, 6 says, they actually did. They, they have kept your word, unquote. So these people are the people uh, that God has imputed his righteousness to, and he's quickened them to delight in God's word. Uh, these are the ones that were chosen as a gift to the Son. So, and we find this in Ephesians 1.11. In him, Paul says, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be what? For the praise of his glory. So in, the next day, Jesus was going to go to the cross, and he was going to redeem a people that were broken, with broken hearts, a broken image of God upon their heart, a people that rebelled against God over and over and over. He was going to redeem them and impute righteousness into them and make them a perfect gift of love to give to his son, worthy of his son. That's amazing. And then if we look back into John 17 again, we see something even amazing again, and that is us who believe the gift given to the son. God gives us the same gifts that was being exchanged through uh, in the Trinity. He, 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 we get to share in those gifts. Uh, verse 22 of John 17 is one of the places, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. So besides this overall gift of glory, which encompasses everything about God, all things, 
um, we get to share specifically as mentioned here um, in some of the things in John 17, his love, the love between the Father and the Son, we get to share. I believe that love is actually the Holy Spirit as well. Jonathan Edwards makes a great case for that, um, that the love of God is the Holy Spirit. That's God living in us. Uh, but he shares his joy, his name, his word. And the Godhead also shares something with us that they have, and that is they live eternally, right? So John 17 says that, verse 2 says, he gives unto them eternal life. So we share that with God as well. We're the gift, and yet we get to share in everything within the Godhead. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here just a second. I, uh, there's, there's a song. You might have heard it. I want us to make sure our, our focus and view of God is clear on this, uh, on you know, the power of the gospel is driven not by our worth, but by the worth of God, who is supreme above all things. It's all about Him. And maybe you've heard this song. Uh, it's called Above All. Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. You know, I think that's wrong. If, if I'm understanding the context of, of the author, um, it's wrong. The cross, it's for God's glory that he forgives our sin. We read that text. And the, the cross transforms this broken gift of a people into a good righteous gift worthy to give to his son. In so doing, we get to share in the glory of God. But guess what, Casey? We're not the center of the universe. That's, that's right. Isn't that weird? God God is. God, I'm sorry. That's exactly right. We're, God is the center of the universe, and we become the benefactors of his amazing love through the cross, and he gets all the glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, and just uh, let it do whatever you want it to do upon our hearts uh, for your glory. Lord, thank you. Here before Casey goes, before Casey and Blake get up here, I'll go ahead and I'm just, I hear you, I hear you, and Shane, yeah, no, no, I'm just playing. All right, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, and the reason we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 is because that's what I'm doing at Team Kid today, and that is all I've looked at this morning. So we can't be anywhere else because I'm not prepared for anything else. But we're going to look at a lame beggar who is healed in Acts chapter 3. And so I'll start off reading verses 1 through 5. So now Peter and John were going up into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried. And they laid him by the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to, take, or to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And so he fixed his attention on them, expecting to re receive something from them. So um, right at the very first of, of the story in Acts chapter 3, we encounter this man who 
um, he's, he's really had a hard life. So his, his entire life he's been crippled. He's um, not been able to um, enjoy the, the use of feet, all right, and not, um, or, or legs that work. And I was thinking about this earlier, um, especially going to be sharing this with kids um, later today. Man, like we use our legs for a ton of stuff, right? So to, to run, to jump, to play, uh, to ride our bikes, to play basketball. And really, like it's, it's a great gift from God to be able to move and to do things. And this man um, was debilitated in this way. He couldn't do what normal people could. He couldn't even work a job for himself. Um, and he couldn't even get to the temple. And he couldn't get to a spot where it's prime begging places where people are entering this temple. And um, so he, he'd even have to be carried there by people. He, he couldn't even get himself to where he needed to be. So people would have to pick him up and take him there. And so really, he's, he's just this needy, broken guy. And, and that's kind of his life. That's kind of his existence. And so when he gets there, it's just another normal day to him. He's going to sit outside of God's temple. He's not allowed in it because of his brokenness. He's just going to have to sit outside on the steps and watch all these people walk by and, and hope really that someone will have compassion on him and, and give him something um, that will help him. Maybe so he'll have enough to eat for that day. And so as he sees uh, Peter and John walking by, he thinks, okay, maybe, maybe I'm going to get some money. So here's, here's some other guys. Um, I, I imagine it's, it's a shameful job to be a beggar, so he didn't even make eye contact with them. So you guys have anything to offer as he looks away? And then um, Peter and John, they say, hey, look at us, man. We, we do have something to give you. It's not silver. It's not gold. But we actually have something to give you that's, that's going to rock your world and change your life. So let's look at what that is. Um, We'll read verse 5 again and then go through verse 8. So he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He's going to get something, but it's going to be something better than he could have ever dreamed of. And Peter said to him, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Um, so an amazing thing has just happened for this guy. And so it's, it's not like he's just sitting there being lazy. And, and, his, and like, it's just like, oh, all I got to do is stand up, or I need someone to help me get going. Like, his whole life, he hasn't even had muscle mass in his leg, right? I mean, like, there's nothing there. He's, he's crippled. He's decrepit. There, there's no way that he can do this on his own. And then all in an instant, his, his whole life, never been able to walk or anything like that, he is changed when, when these guys grab him, and in the name of, they speak the, the name of Jesus, and they lift him to his feet. And, and this is really cool to me to think of, of small, weak, frail, fragile legs instantly putting on mass, like muscle coming from, from nowhere. And, and this, this, this guy who's never even been able to, to crawl or walk is able to jump, right? He springs to his feet. And, and, and like he's not doing bad for his, his first day of, of having legs. He's able to walk and run and jump. And, and that's because when God heals, he heals completely and fully. And so this man's whole life has changed, and he, he begins to run and jump and, and praise God because he gets that this isn't, not, this isn't a healing that, that Peter and John have done, but, man, God has just worked a miracle in, in him. And so as he's, he's running and jumping, he, he goes with Peter and John into the temple, which is really cool. Like, 
He's, he's, he's got to set outside of it his whole life and, and beg from people who are going into it, but he's never been able to go into it because of his brokenness. And so now for the first time, he's able to walk into this temple. And, and as he does, a large crowd gathers, right? And, and like, how could they not? They've, they've walked past this guy every day of their life for 10, 15, 20 years, and he's set there helpless. And now he, he's, he's running and jumping and, and making this big scene about what God's done for him. And so this, this, um, this massive crowd gathers there, and all attention is on this guy. And, and everybody has the same question. What happened? Right? And so I'm kind of a nerd. I really like magic. And so, like, I'll, I'll get online and I'll, I'll watch, like, you know, Penn and Teller. And, and, and like, I always watch, and I'm always trying to figure out, like, okay, how do they do that? Like, it's almost like a game to me. Like, I want to figure out the trick and I want to figure out what's going on. And, and I think that everybody here is trying to do the same thing. They're like, okay, like, w- what has happened? How did they do that? Okay, what's, what's the trick or what am I missing here? And um, if, if you know anything about magic, uh, a great... Um, magician they never reveal their secret right like they if once once you got a trick and once you're able to do something cool like you don't tell other people you don't want them to find out but um but Peter actually does the exact opposite thing so here's this amazing wonderful thing has happened that's drawn all attention and he says hey I'm glad to tell you I'm I mean I, I it would be my joy to tell you how this thing happened and 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 he and he does something he directs his attention away from him he says it's not John and I like we're we're not anybody this has happened through Christ, the, the name of Jesus. And so I imagine when he says that, it kind of catches people off guard because they know the name of Jesus. They, they, they just murdered him. Like he, he was just not, not very long ago, he was just hung on a cross and put to death by Roman soldiers. And so like th- this Jesus guy who's dead and gone, how could, how could he do anything? And so then Peter and, and John, they, they begin to speak and say, Hey, you, you don't know the full story. Although Jesus was dead, although he did die, man, he was God's holy son, full of righteousness and life and truth. And God raised him from the dead in power. And right now he's alive and well and he sits on a throne. And, and, and that's why his name is, is the name above all names. And it's the name that is filled with power. And he still is doing work through his people. And that's why this man stands before you well today is because it was faith in the name of Jesus that healed him. That's what verse 16 tells us. So verse 16 says, And in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see now. And it is faith in Jesus that has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. What's really cool about the the rest of this chapter, we're not going to read through it all, but... um, Peter, Peter really starts to tell him, hey, Jesus, Jesus' power and what his name can do and what he's capable of doing, is, it isn't just limited to the physical. It actually transcends and goes above that, and he can help us with all types of brokenness. So not just um, blind eyes that can't see and not just lame legs that can't work, not just deaf ears that can't hear. He can actually help us with mankind's biggest problem, our problem of sin and brokenness. And so that, that's what Peter begins to tell these people is that he can help you with, with the thing that no one else can. So, so just like this man sat there needy, broken, helpless, could do nothing on his own, he, he needed someone who could pick him up out of that life and pull him up out of that brokenness. And Peter and John go to tell all these people listening, he, Jesus can do that for you in regards to your sin. 
I mean, you're a lot like this guy, right? You're, you're needy, you're broken, there's nothing you can do on your own, you're stuck. And really, you need someone who can speak life into you and, and pull you out of sin. And so that's, that's what uh, Peter invites them to do, is to, to have the same kind of faith that this man displays and to trust God, um, not with the problem of the brokenness of legs, but the problem of brokenness with heart. And that's what he invites them to do. And, and many people do it that day. It's a really cool story. And um, as, as I was kind of reading through this, I, I was thinking, do, do you really, and do I really, do we really see sin as our biggest problem of brokenness? Like, is it, is it the thing that must be dealt with? Like, we have to, we have to address it. And so I, I was trying to think, let, let's just say this. Let's say that right now you found yourself in a totally broken situation. So let's say that, that you're blind and you are crippled and you are lost in sin. And someone walks up to you and they said, right now, I will remove one of those. Like, it's your choice. Like, I have the power to do it. You pick. I, I can give you eyes to see. I can give you legs to walk. Or I can make you right with God. Which would you pick? And, and it, all, it all really comes down to this. Which one do you see is your biggest problem, right? Because if, if you think, man, I would give anything to see. Like, that's the big, you're going to pick the eyes. Or if you say, man, walking would change my life. You're going to pick new legs and restored legs. But if you get this, if you get that, that sin is your biggest problem, you're going to pick the right relationship with God. You're going to say, while the, though I may have to live and never see a beautiful thing again, and though I, I may live and never be able to use my legs again, though, those are not near as bad as, as living a life separated from God and all of his goodness. And so I, I always think that when I come to these passages, it, luckily God's so generous or Christ is so generous in Scripture, he gives people both. Right, like so, in, in John nine, you have a really similar passage. I actually think that that um, John and, and Peter are just doing what they've seen Jesus do to the blind man in John nine, who's who's sitting outside of the temple. Um, but but really, you have the same scenario where this guy's blind and he receives physical sight and he receives spiritual sight. But but I think it'd be cool to ask that guy in, in light of eternity and where he's at now, which one would you rather have? Like, which one's more life changing? And, and I think for those of us who are in Christ, we know that it's, it's to be joined to Jesus. Like, because sin is our biggest problem, and, and it's our biggest need to, to be set free from. So um, that, that's just something that, that I think we ought to think through today. And, man, really ask yourself, do, do I see sin as my biggest problem? Is it, is it the thing that must be dealt with? And, um, and when you know that it is, we, we need to go to the one who can deal with it. All right, Genesis 4, if you guys have your Bibles. I'm going to kind of piggyback on uh, Daniel's message there, and I just want to kind of try to answer the question. Uh, I'm going to try to fit my Sunday 35-minute sermon into 10 minutes. Let's see how long I have here. Yeah, about 10 minutes. Um, So we'll we'll see how it goes. I don't know. It'll be fun. But I want to answer the question... Uh, what do we do when God in his kindness reveals a sin in our life? 
when a sin is exposed, this, this amazing gift, and it, it can come through various ways. It can come through when you're, you're reading the Bible, which is described sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, it cuts through the bone and the flesh, and the, or sorry, the soul and the flesh, and, and God exposes an area in your life that is outside of his will, or maybe you're listening to a sermon and it's, it's really convicting and God is speaking to you. You need to take care of this sin. What do you do? When God in his grace gives you that. And I think Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel, is, is a beautiful example of, of what to not do when God exposes sin in your life. So we'll just jump right in, verse 1, and to provide a little bit of context, this is the first chapter after the fall. So in Genesis 1.31, God says the world is very good. Yet you and I live in a world that's not very good. We live in, in a world with arguments and divisiveness and school shootings and cancer and pain. And the reason is because in Genesis 3, sin enters the world. And then in Genesis 4, we see a world that looks a lot more like the world you and I live in now. And it says this, chapter 4, verse 1, The man, speaking of Adam, was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. And you know she had to be excited about this one because she would have immediately remembered what God said in Genesis 3.16 when he said, one day your offspring will crush the head of the serpent. So she had to think, this is my child, the one who will crush the serpent who deceived us and caused sin to enter the world. And it says this in verse 2, she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. And if I can be honest, just like sinful Blake here, um, when I first read that, I thought, well, you know, I probably would be angry if I was Cain also. Because it appears like God just doesn't like my offering. It doesn't say that Abel brought an offering and Cain didn't bring an offering at all. No, they both brought an offering. It just kind of looks like one offering is better than the other offering. So it kind of seems like God's kind of mean or he just, you just didn't give him enough, Cain. Um, but upon further reflection, when you look at this, what the verse doesn't say, verse 5, it doesn't say that uh, God did not have regard for Cain. No, no, no. It says, or sorry, for Cain's offering. It does say, though, however, he did not have regard for Cain. And his offering. But in other words, God was much more concerned with the one who was bringing the offering than the actual offering itself. And if we had time, I'd take you to Hebrews 11:4, where it says the reason God had regard for Abel's offering and not Cain's was because Abel had faith. Abel brought his offering in trust and faith in God, and Cain did not. You see, to Cain, God was a part of his life. You know, hey, you can have a little bit of what I have here. But he wasn't the point of his life. It wasn't, I, I give because you have given to me. And so God in his kindness exposes this sin that if Cain doesn't take care of will kill him. He exposes this sin and Cain's response is anger. And I think if we're being honest, that's kind of a lot of our responses when God exposes sin in our life. Uh, it feels a lot more like a burden than a blessing. It doesn't really. It feels like if it's a gift, if God's exposing this to me as a gift, it's kind of a gift I don't really want because it makes me uncomfortable. Um, kind of like you know when somebody buys your kids a trampoline or something, and you know it's a gift, but you're just thinking about the seven hours it's going to take to put the thing together. It's really not a gift. It's more of a burden. Um, I, I kind of experienced this just last week. 
Taylor, my fiance, and I, we're getting married in uh, June. And so right now we're in pre, yeah, amen, woo, premarital counseling, um, which has been terrible for my ego because I'm finding out that Taylor is even more awesome than I ever imagined and I'm way more messed up than I ever could have believed. So it's, it's been just great for the ego. But the, the people who are mentoring us, the couple who's taking us through counseling is, is, a, is a great couple. They're very hospitable and they've been making snacks for us every week. And so like the first week, they made these amazing little cheesecake bites that were just absolutely delicious. And so this last week when I walk in the house and uh, Jody, the lady, she says, I've made some cookies for you in the kitchen. Well, immediately my mouth starts watering because I love cookies. And I don't know why. She didn't say what kind of cookies they were. I just, I just imagined that they were chocolate chip cookies because I don't know about you guys, but I feel the presence of the Lord when I eat a good chocolate chip cookie. And so I'm just so excited. And we, we walk into this kitchen and uh, she points at the plate of cookies and she says, here are some carrot cake cookies. And what you need to know about me is I hate carrots. Like, honestly, I think carrots are a result of the fall. And I think it may be child abuse for all of you watching. It may be child abuse to make your children eat carrots. They are that bad. And so when we walk in and the ladies, here's some carrot cake cookies for you. Uh, Taylor said something sweet like, oh, I love carrot cake cookies. And uh, all I could get to come out of my mouth was carrot cake, huh? Because I don't want to eat these, but I don't know this lady like I know you guys. So I couldn't just straight up tell her I don't like carrots. She's been slaving in the kitchen for us all day to give us this amazing gift. And so I just I have to kind of take one of these carrot cake cookies, and I'm thinking, it's just one cookie. Surely I can eat this one cookie. And, and Taylor says I'm a baby because she says you can't even taste carrots and, and carrot cake, but I think you can. And this carrot cake cookie had chunks of carrots in it. And so I'm getting halfway through this, and I'm thinking, it's going to take the Lord for me to get through the rest of this cookie. And so, you know, I have to slip over to the trash can and kind of throw it away. And it was a gift that wasn't really a gift. And that's kind of a silly way of explaining it. But, but I think that's how a lot of us kind of feel about God exposing sin in our life. Oh, gosh. Yep. All right. Yeah, I'll do this for you, God. You know, you, I know you want this, and it might just please you, so I'll do this for you. And in reality, that, that's not what it's like at all. That, that God exposing the sin is a true and real gift because sin, if we're not careful, will kill us. And sin takes us places, although it may seem small now, it'll take us places we never thought we would ever go. And I think the next few verses prove that. And I forgot to start a timer, so I don't know how long I might go here. Um, verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? Or why do you look depressed? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? And look at this. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin always, 100% of the time, leads to death and destruction. Uh, so, so when we think about the gift of God exposing it, it's not like a carrot cake. It's a lot more carrot cake. Sorry, it's a lot more like a light being turned on, exposing something evil. Uh, I live out in the country with my grandparents, and so we have a whole bunch of critters that kind of crawl in and out of the house. And uh, last summer, I had gotten home late from a youth function at the church, and, and I walked in, and the room was dark. And usually what I do when it's late is I'll just set my bag down, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, and get in bed without ever turning the light on. But for some reason, I decided to turn the light on. And when I turned the light on, right beside my bed, on the wall, right beside my pillow, was a centipede. Sinta, as in 100 nasty little legs from the pit of hell, right by my bed. And so you know what I did? I turned on the light and I screamed for my grandma to come kill the centipede for me. 
You know why? Because I don't like centipedes. And if I would have laid down by that centipede, it would have killed me or made me cry. And I don't want either of those things. So I took care of it. The light wasn't a burden. It was, it was a gift. And this is what we have when God exposes sin in our lives. It's an amazing gift that we can see it while it's still small before it grows. Because we see here, right now, Cain is, is angry. And honestly, if Cain was your friend, what would you suggest to him? You know, would it be a big deal? Yeah, you got a little anger in your heart. It's not a big deal, right? Or uh, for you, it might be, you know, yeah, you watch something you shouldn't watch on the internet, but it's just not really a big deal. Or, or you may say, you know, yeah, I, I drink a little bit too much, but I have, a, I have a handle on it. I can stop it whenever I want to. But the thing is, sin has you. You don't have sin. And we see that what comes next. It says this in verse 8. Anger turned into murder. Look at this. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? And then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And we see that sin grows, and if you don't kill sin, sin will eventually kill you. So I would just give you uh, this advice, this warning that I pray that you would heed uh, everybody in this room and everybody watching, and that is if God is convicting you in an area of your life, don't mess around with it. Don't struggle with it. Kill it. Do whatever it takes to kill it. you got to get rid of your smartphone and get a dumb phone. Then get a dumb phone. you got to do whatever it takes to get that sin out of your life before it destroys you. And, and I know some, some of you are going to say, well, yeah, but Jesus is how my sins are, are cleaned and pured. And, and look at me, you are exactly right. That Jesus is the way I'm made right in front of God. But, but over and over and over in the Gospels, Jesus says, now take this power I've given you and go and destroy this sin. Personal responsibility. Because that sin will kill you if you don't kill it first. So um, that's what I got. I, I think I went 10 minutes. Maybe I went too long. But let me pray for us uh, and then I'll sit down. Uh, Father God, I just thank you so much uh, for your grace and your mercy and your gifts, uh, even when you make me feel uncomfortable by exposing the areas in my life that, uh, that, that aren't in accordance to your will. God, I just pray that you would give uh, all of us in this room and everybody watching now or later, uh, God, the courage um, to act upon killing the sin, uh, Lord, that you've exposed to them, uh, whether that means going to uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and confessing it or, or taking uh, steps to destroy and, and mark out the sin in their life. God, whatever it is for them, I pray that you would, you would show them what to do and give them the power to obey. Lord, we praise you and thank you in your most heavenly name. Amen. All right, thank you guys for coming. Thank you everybody on Facebook. Um, and by the way, if you have any comments, please uh, leave them. If anybody has any questions or would like to uh, for us to pray for them, please send us an iMessage and we will surely do that. It can be anonymous if you like. Uh, otherwise, uh, check out our uh, website at braggingonjesus.com and read some articles. Um, otherwise, we will see you next month. March, in April sometime. So God bless. Thank you all.